And let's pray for the Word. Father, tonight I thank You for Your Word. Holy Spirit, You're the one who wrote the Bible, and so we ask You to explain it to us. We ask You to show us what You meant and what You want to say. Tonight we're grateful for revelation that comes by the Spirit of God. Lord, we worship You. We honor You tonight for Your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk for a few minutes tonight um, about this thing that's called uh, faith. Y'all think faith might be important? I, I think it's probably pretty important. It's, the Bible talks a lot about it. Uh, there are people who kind of got off in faith, and they got kind of out there, and and they people call them hyper faith. Uh, I don't really understand if you could really have hyper faith or not. Because you either have faith or you don't have faith, but faith is a pretty important thing, and if we if we shy away from it because people have 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 misused scripture regarding it, then we're going to be in trouble because we do have to believe some things. Let me read you this passage of scripture. This is out of the Amplified Bible, and you know the verse from Ephesians chapter two. It says, "For it is by free grace, God's unmerited favor, that you are saved." delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation. That's not where the verse ended, though. It didn't just say you're saved by grace. It says you're saved by grace through your faith. It says, and this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it is the gift of God. So the gift of God's salvation came to us, how? By faith. You can't be a Christian unless you believe something. You have to believe something to be born again. You have to have heard something about Jesus. And when you heard about Jesus, you believed it. You prayed a prayer and invited him into your heart. So faith is what, is what brought grace into your life. But why did we get saved? And why did that faith come to us? It is not to sit on the couch watching Bonanza till Jesus comes back. There's a purpose. The next verse says, Not because of works, not the fulfillment of law's demands, lest any man should boast, is not the result of what anyone can possibly do. No one can pride himself or take glory to himself. Now listen to this. For we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship. Now here's the purpose. Recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestinated, planned beforehand, for us, taking paths which He prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which He prearranged and made ready for us to live. By faith, we received salvation. The word saved there in that scripture does not mean born again, by the way. The word is sozo, and it means to be, to be made well, made whole, rescued, saved. Okay, it includes born again, but it includes salvation in all areas of our life. When we believe what God said, we were rescued from the world for the purpose of accomplishing God's plan in our lives. That's why we got saved. Okay, it wasn't just getting saved, waiting for the rapture. Wouldn't it be great if that's all you had to do? If it was only about getting to go to heaven... Because then when you got born again and they baptized you, they could just hold you under. 
and you could just go on to heaven. But that's not it. There's sometimes there's a long period of time between the time you got baptized and the time you actually go to heaven. So there's something to do here. And that passage tells us by God's grace through our faith, now we have a life to live to produce what God wants in our lives. The problem with the teaching of faith is often that preachers teach it so that, um, so, to, so that people think that the purpose of faith, the purpose of faith is to get God to give me what I want. If I just have faith, God will give me a new Mercedes. Or if I just have faith, God will give me the money to do to go on vacation. That's not really the purpose of faith. The purpose of faith isn't for me to get something from God. The purpose of faith is for God to get something from me. I believe God for what He said in His Word, and I do what He said because I believe Him, doing the things that seem to me like they're impossible so that God's purpose is fulfilled in my life and in this world. That's the purpose of faith. That's what we're here for. We're not here. We're not the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Christianity is about the Christ. And the purpose of my faith is that I might serve Him, believe Him for what He said is impossible. How would you like to have been the disciples when Jesus said, okay, I want you guys to go into town and I want you to find this new, this colt who has a donkey and I want you to get him. And if they ask you why you're taking him, you simply say to them, the master has need of it. How, do you think that'd be easy to do? I want you to go to town. Frank, I need you to go to town. I need you to go get, there's a Cadillac parked on Broadway and the keys are in it. I need you to get in it and bring it to me. If anybody stops you, I need you to say, the master has need of it. I'm going to tell you something, it would take faith to do that one, right? So we misunderstand that the purpose of faith is to get, get Jesus what he wants. Somebody has to get the donkey and it takes faith to accomplish that. I mean, I'm thinking, I might have been saying, well, Jesus, wait, 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 Jesus, uh, get Judas. He's been stealing money, and he knows how to steal better than I do. <laughs> Let's just do that. The purpose of faith, though, is not to get me something, is to get him something. Now, I know this about him. One of the things he wants is for me to be healthy. He wants my body to be whole because that way I can serve him better. I can do more. So faith is not about me getting what I want. It's me getting him what he wants. So we're going to talk a little bit about faith. We started talking about um, as we believed a, few, a couple of times ago. And so I want us to continue along the vein of that. When we talk about faith, always understand that it's about getting God what he wants. That's our purpose. That's what we want to do. So last week, and we'll read this passage in a minute, we, we talked about Mark chapter 9. And Mark chapter 9 begins with Jesus and his disciples, two of them, three of them, on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know what that is? That's where Jesus goes up. All of a sudden, he starts to sparkle. He starts to glow. His clothes are all of a sudden whiter, the Bible says, than any bleach can make them. I mean, he is glowing, and he's there with Peter, James, and John, and they're, they're seeing this happen. And then all of a sudden, 
there appear with Jesus Moses and Elijah. Now, I don't know how they know, knew that's who they were. I don't know if they're wearing name tags. I don't know if Jesus, I don't know if Jesus is saying, okay, now this is Peter, James, John, this is Moses, and this is Elijah. I don't know how they knew who they were, but Peter, James, and John are there, and Moses and Elijah appear. And they're talking with Jesus about what's getting ready to happen because they're going to Jerusalem. Things are getting ready to happen. In fact, in Luke it says, they spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. I believe that Moses and Elijah, Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. So you got the law and the prophets there. They came from different places. You realize that, right? Elijah went to heaven in a fiery chariot. Moses went to the bosom of Abraham. They're, they're coming from two different spots. One coming from beneath and one coming from above. They're meeting there with Jesus. There's a lot of theology in what I just said. But they meet with Jesus there. And they're talking about him dying and what's getting ready to happen. And their purpose, I believe, from God was to encourage Jesus along the way. Because you understand, Jesus, nobody killed Jesus. Jesus gave his life away. And I believe they're there to say, hey, man, Moses is like, we're down here in the bosom of Abraham. We're ready for you to get there because we're ready to get to go to heaven because that's what happened. He went and preached to the captives and they got free and all went to heaven. Elijah is up in heaven. He says, I'll tell you what, in heaven, they can't wait for you to come back. We're so excited for you to come back. But Jesus, you know what's got to happen. You have to give your life away. And I believe they're encouraging him and they're talking about his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his victory over death. And so they're just encouraging him while they're there. So he, they're, they're encouraging all that stuff. And so Jesus gave his life away. No matter what people say, the Romans didn't kill him. Jesus laid his life down. Remember when they came in the garden and they said, and Judas kisses him and Jesus said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And they all just hit the ground. <laughs> they didn't take him. He gave himself away. I mean, they had to get back up because, I mean, he could have easily escaped at that moment. Mm -hmm. But he gave himself away. And they're talking about that. They're talking about his, his life. Jesus said that, 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 that he had the power to give it, the power to lay it down, and the power to take it up again. So they couldn't take his life from him. So they're talking to Jesus. So they're there talking. And then, man, they are so impressed with what's happening with Jesus. Just imagine the glory. Jesus is sparkling. You got Moses and Elijah. Nobody on the planet could say that they had seen anything like that. Three guys. And they're like, wow. And so they're thinking that Jesus and Moses and Elijah are all even there. Because they said, this is my paraphrase, Jesus, this is awesome. Let us make for you Three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. All of a sudden, they're creating the three tabernacle denomination, and they're going to have people come to these three tabernacles, and they're thinking, y'all are all amazing. All of a sudden, the cloud comes. You remember this story? The cloud comes. It overshadows them, and the Father speaks, and He says, this is my Son. Hear Him. He didn't say, Moses and Elijah. He said, this is the one. The cloud goes away and there's just Jesus. And I'm sure they are thinking, we are kind of stupid right now. <laughs> he said, 
This is my son, hear him. And there's all of this glory, all of this spectacular stuff going on. I mean, they, they, they're up there, just the four of them, plus Moses, Elijah, the father. Ooh, I mean, that had to be one of the most glorious experiences ever had by a human being ever. And they come down from the mountain. And here's what happens. It says, and this is out of Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning them, arguing with them. And straightway, all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him and saluted him. They, they were amazed because he's, he must have still been sparkling a little bit. He still was glowing. And they're all like, whoa, what? Look, they all run over to him. Okay, and they were greatly amazed. And he asked the scribes, why do you, why question you with them? In other words, why are you arguing with them? Why is this going on? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. Now, here's a, here, this is an amazing thing. Here they were, they're in glory. They, I mean, this is a glorious thing. They had a wonderful retreat with Jesus. Just, I mean, you know, Peter, James, and John had to think, we are way important. John already thought he was one that Jesus loved more than anybody else, and he quoted it lots of times. And they're up there, and they come down to a mess. I mean, the, the other disciples can't do anything. It's important for us to pull away from society. You realize that. We need to get away. We need to get alone with God. We need to have those times of refreshing and those times when we're in the, just His presence. But be prepared because when you, you're not called to stay there from now on. We live in the world. Jesus said that, that we're in the world, we're just not of the world. We're, we're to be the light of the world. And so we have to come down and they came down to a mess and that's the way the devil works. He wants you, when you, I, when you have a real high with the Lord, the next thing that's getting ready to happen is the devil's getting ready to hope you forget about everything that happened. And he's going to help you see a mess. And he's going to help remind you of how bad you are. He's going to try to get you to, to not remember what happened when you were with him. And so they come down and, 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 and the scribes, and he, he said, why are you arguing my boys? What happened was these boys, the, the, the other nine disciples, this guy had brought his son. We'll read some more scripture about it in a minute. He brought his son. He had this spirit that he said was dumb. And they tried to cast the demon out and they could not. They couldn't get it out. And you can already hear it. These are religious experts talking in to all these people. And they're saying, well, aren't these guys word people? Why isn't this working? They're supposed to be, they're supposed to be Jesus people. This isn't working for them. Why? This is crazy. And so they're arguing with them, telling them that they can't do that. I mean, they're saying, don't y'all believe what you're doing? They're just making fun of them. And, and the disciples were asking themselves the same question. But the guy came looking for Jesus. He came, he came looking for Jesus, but he had to settle for the disciples, but they were no help. And here's what the scripture says. I read the first part. They said, one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, but they could not. And Jesus answered him and said, 
God's ways are mysterious. You don't understand, but be assured that God has a reason and is teaching you something from this. Did Jesus ever say anything even like that? Jesus never said that. And yet I just quoted you what most of the church thinks. God's ways are mysterious. You never know why. God is teaching you something. There's something that you need to know. Why would the church think that way when Jesus never said anything like that? Tradition. The tradition has nullified the Word of God. That's what Jesus said in another place. Through your traditions, you've nullified the Word of God. What did Jesus really say? He says, He answered him and said, O faithless generation. What is the problem, do you think? Is this about the will of God? No, the problem is faithlessness. I mean, Jesus hit it right on the head right away. He said, that's the problem. Religion wants to make it about the will of God. Jesus wants to make it about belief. Oh, faithless generation. Jesus wants to make it about faith. See, as long as I can blame it on the will of God, then I have nothing to do with it. And it's God's fault if it doesn't come to pass. Remember Jesus came to Lazarus' tomb. Martha came to Jesus, and what was the first thing she said? If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She went and got married. She said... If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The crowd said, if he had been here, their brother wouldn't have died. What are they saying? It's Jesus' fault. It's Jesus' fault. And if you know the passage, it says that Jesus groaned in the spirit. The word groaned there means to snort like a horse ready to go to battle. Jesus was irritated that they were blaming God for the death of Lazarus. Sometimes we need, or not sometimes, all the time, we need to figure out what's going on here. Would God do that to somebody? And what happens is people, when they don't take responsibility, they blame our good Father who gives good and perfect gifts for giving the evil, for putting the evil in place. This particular situation could never have been the work of God the Father. You know how I know? Jesus would have never cast out a demon that God the Father gave somebody. Jesus would never undo what the Father did because he would be violating the will of God if it was the will of God for the man, the boy to have the demon. You ever thought about that before? See, if the will of God is for the kid to have a demon, Jesus says, okay, well, this is the will of God. And you never know what his mysterious thing is. All right. So let me say this. If a hundred preachers pray and nothing happens, come to Jesus and get help. Doesn't mean if a hundred preachers pray for you and you don't get help, 
doesn't mean that God doesn't want to help you. Jesus wanted to help them. This boy, this demon has been disrupting this family for years. I mean, it's not the mysterious will and plan of God. They didn't have to accept it and embrace it. We don't have to accept it and embrace it. The Bible says we resist the devil. I'm going to get, it's going to be good. You're going to, you're going to like what I'm going to say before I get finished. The man went on to say, And oft times it hath cast him into the fire, into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And he says, if, if you can do anything. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? Oh, God, please help us. That's the same thing. If you can do anything. The man heard that Jesus could do something. So he had hope. He believed he could do something. I mean, he believed it could happen. Sometimes we think, well, we've never seen this before, so this can't be right. We've never done it this way before. Well, those are the words, the last words of the dying church. Jesus said the problem was faithlessness. No matter what anybody tells you, no matter how many initials they have to have after their name, if they tell you anything but what Jesus said, you need to walk away. Well, you know, that was the healing dispensation. And those people have passed away. And God doesn't work that way anymore. Do we have any less need for miracles today than they did then? Do we need God any less than they did then? I mean, Jesus didn't say that, 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 that the miracles were going to pass away. He said this was a matter of what they believed, what they were believing. That home, there was no rest there. I mean, the boy would throw himself in the fire, throw himself in the water. I mean, they had to watch him 24 hours a day. They had to step at night to make sure he didn't hurt himself. I mean, today's preachers are telling people that we don't understand the mysterious will of God and that He's teaching us something. And that when you pray, God will answer you one of three ways. Yes, no, and wait a while. What verse is that in? (laughs) Hallucinations 9.12? Is that what we're talking about? That isn't in the Bible anywhere. In fact, here's what the Bible says. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, For as many as the promises of God, they all find their yes, their answer in Him, Christ. For this reason we also utter the Amen, so be it to God, through Him in His person, by His agency, to the glory of God. The, the promises of God, the answer is yes. The Amen comes by us when we agree. What does Amen mean? So be it to me. We say the amen to the promise. That's it. People are telling them it's something about the will of God. Here's the will of God. If it's His promise, His answer is yes. Amen. That's a good time to say, so be it to me. Okay? Instead, they say, I know this is hard, but just believe this is the will of God. He made Him that way, so you can just accept it. One time we were facing a terrible medical situation and a nurse had the audacity to look at me and say, God only gives this to people he knows can handle it. (laughs) Trying to compliment me because she knew I was a pastor. 
trying to compliment me. And I wanted to say, shut up and get out of this room. (laughs) I simply said, I'm sorry, I don't think so. But people have all kinds of things. If you believe that kind of stuff, you'll never believe or have faith for a miracle. As long as you're believing all that stuff. Here's where, faith begins where the will of God is known. If you know it's God's will, you can have faith. What, how, how can you find His will most of the time, do you think? In His Word. That's His will. Now, I know what I'm talking about flies in the face of all kinds of teaching and tradition, but if I'm wrong... Show me the scripture where Jesus said, I'm sorry, this is the will of God and nothing can be done. Show me one verse. Show me one verse where the disciples said that. Can't find them. They're not in the Bible. Maybe we ought to admit that it's unbelief and that we've been taught wrong. Maybe we need more teaching that will so we can hear the right thing because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This man says, if you can do anything, help us. Jesus did not bring up the will of God. Not one time. It is the will of God for every one of us to be free. But not everybody's free. It's the will of God for everybody to be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. But yet not everybody's saved. All right? In the other Gospels, when they, after this was over, they went to Jesus and said, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. There was something that was going on there. So the guy says, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, help us. Jesus said, this is, this is what it actually says in the Greek, if I can do anything. If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. All things are possible to him that believes. Is that true or not? We need to make a decision. Did the master say it or not? He said it. All things are possible. Now, this doesn't mean that you can grow a foot overnight, but it does mean you can have anything the Bible says you can have. That's what it's talking about. Everything God has promised you. And these guys, they're all Jewish and they knew the Lord is the healer and they knew they had a right to healing. They knew he was the deliverer. They knew that could happen. So what are we supposed to say when they say it's incurable? Okay, well, it must be the will of God. No, we say all things are possible to him that believes. What do we say when they say he was born that way? When they say no one's ever been cured of this? Listen, I didn't write this. This isn't something I wrote. I didn't write the book of Mark. I didn't write any of this. It's in the Bible. The Lord, the Holy Spirit wrote it for us. Jesus, the Master, the Son of the living God, He's the one who said, all things are possible to Him that believes. That are just burning our spirits, that are ringing our spirits. I mean, we need to believe what Jesus said. About four or five years ago, Tammy went, went to the doctor and she was diagnosed with a liver disease. And, she, and it's incurable. And she looked at me and she said, I will not live the rest of my life with this. 
They said it was incurable. They ran the tests. They did all the things, every one of them. But Tammy was sure that God was going to heal her. She was absolutely positive. I mean, she didn't brag about it. She just told me. She said, I'm not taking this medicine the rest of my life. I'm not doing this the rest of my life. And she went back to the doctor, and you know, it was still there, and, but they needed less medicine. And she finally goes to the doctor, and she says, can I just not take this medicine because I don't need it? Because all the tests were getting better and better. And he said, I'll tell you what. I'll say yes to that if you'll get a liver biopsy. So she goes to get the liver biopsy. The guy who's doing the biopsy says, as he's in there doing it, he goes, why are you here? Your liver is perfectly healthy. Why are you here? It was perfectly normal. She goes back to the doctor and he says, well, it's all perfectly normal now. And he said, so um, you don't really need to take the medicine and you don't really need to come back and see me. Um, so, yeah, you don't need to take it anymore. Well, the Lord healed her of the thing. Now the problem is the insurance company. They don't believe that because she had a diagnosis of the thing. And so they're saying, no, you have to have higher insurance because you were diagnosed with that. And she said... And the doctor cannot say he didn't diagnose her because he did. And so it's, a, it's illegal to say, I didn't diagnose her. But he had to go in and in the notes, he had to say, there are no symptoms. There's no need for her to ever come back to see me. That there's no need for medicine and all that stuff. Because we're trying to get our insurance to be the right price it's supposed to be instead of being marked up for that. But the miracle, listen... The Lord is the one who healed her. She believed, no matter what the report of the medical doctors were, and she has a great doctor, he's a great guy, loves, he loves the Lord. But he, and he was having a hard time figuring out what was going on because she simply refused to that. We have to know something. All things are possible to him that believes. It did not happen in 24 minutes, 24 hours, or 24 months. She had to continually believe it, continually stay with it. Now, we need to know that. Now, this is not possible to everybody, by the way. It's only possible to those who believe. I had a preacher one time tell me, well, your pastor's in the same town, and he said, you know, I believe in miracles if I ever saw one. And I said, then you'll never see one. He said, what? I said, seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. You'll get a miracle when you believe for one. If you have to see it, you'll never believe it. You have to believe God. This man said, Lord, I believe. Jesus said, all things are possible. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That flies in the face of what most people who teach about faith would ever tell you to do. You're supposed to say, Lord, I believe and I believe and I believe. This guy was as honest as he could be with tears in his eyes. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help the part of me that doesn't believe. 
I mean, a lot of us will say, you know, probably me, I got some faith, I got it. This guy understood what was really going on. He heard the word. He believed the word. But he knew there was more that needed to be worked out. So he had this unbelief in him still. Two kinds of unbelief that I'm going to talk about for just a second. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.13, who he said, he's talking about himself, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. One type of unbelief is when you're ignorant. You just don't know. You're just ignorant. You don't believe it. Paul was an enemy of the church. He did it because he was ignorant. He didn't even know who Jesus was. Didn't even know. I, mean, I talked to a guy, um, I don't know if I told you all this last time or not, who in, New York, in, in Florida, he was a Jewish man of the priestly tribe of Aaron. And he found out that I knew more about the Bible than he did. More about the Old Testament than he did. More about the, 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 the Torah than he did. And he looked at me and he said, tell me something. Tell me about the man on the cross. When you start talking to a Jewish man from the Old Testament about the Messiah, it's a whole different conversation. Where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. He's ignorant. He doesn't know. He doesn't know anything about faith. Paul didn't know anything about Jesus. He didn't even know who Jesus was. He just knew these people were trying to follow Jesus. And Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus one day, gets his whole attention because everybody else fell down and he was the only one who could understand what Jesus was saying. And, and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? He knew he was, but he knew he was Lord. He said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. At that moment, he was no longer ignorant. And he made the right decision to follow Jesus. There's another kind of ignorance. Listen to this kind. Hebrews chapter 3, verse, verses 12 through 13, and verse 19. It says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in, you, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. An evil heart of unbelief. But exhort one another daily while it's called the day, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 19 says, So we see that they could not enter in because of their unbelief. This is talking about the children of Israel going to the promised land. They had an evil heart of unbelief. This is a whole different thing. They weren't ignorant. They had seen miracles. They had seen God part the Red Sea. They had seen the manna. They had seen the, the, the thing, all the things happen in Egypt. They saw, they saw everything. But they weren't ignorant. They were unpersuadable. They knew the power of God. They knew that. But they, they were unpersuadable. It's kind of like Thomas. Remember when, when everybody saw Jesus and he wasn't there? And they said, we saw the Lord. He said, I don't believe that. Unless I put my hands in, in his hands where the nails were, my, or his feet where, the, feet where the nails were, in his side, I will not believe. He was unpersuadable. Well, until Jesus walked in the room and said, oh yeah, put your hands here. He said, you know what? It's better to be able to believe and not see. What about John, the, the Apostle John? Remember when, when Jesus was raised from the dead and, and uh, uh, Mary comes and says, the Lord is raised from the dead? And John and Peter rush to the temple. They run and I love it. John says, but the one disciple outran Peter. He was making sure we know that he's faster than Peter. He got there first. 
Peter goes in the tomb, though, and John didn't. And they find the clothes are all folded neatly in two different places. You know, the, the face one is over here, the rest of them over here. They're all folded really neatly. And, uh, and, 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 and they, they walk away, but it says, but John believed. Even though he had not seen Jesus yet, he believed. He was quick to believe. We need to be quick to be persuaded to find out. Jesus said to this guy, he said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father cried out with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. That's what he said. I believe you. I believe what you're saying. I believe it. You see, we're not, we're not in the world. We're not supposed to believe the things of the world. But sometimes people don't believe because of one thing. Or they, 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 don't, they won't confess that they don't believe because of one thing. And John, in 1 John 1, 2, 16, it says, For all that's in the world, we're supposed to stay away from it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Many times people won't say the last part of that, I believe, help my unbelief, is because there's a lot of pride involved. The pride of life. Wouldn't it be terrible if you said, I believe, Lord, but I don't believe everything yet. And the preacher would say, because I've heard preachers say this, well, then you're not ready for a healing. We fail to understand that God's going to meet us where we are. Sometimes we get so proud that we're afraid to admit that maybe we don't know it all. Maybe we can't receive it yet. Maybe we're not ready for it yet. And maybe there's a different way here that we need to work our faith and build our faith what's supposed to happen. Because not everybody can have all the faith for all the things all the time immediately. We need to recognize that. We don't need to be proud. There's no room to pretend you have faith when you need a miracle. You gotta, we got we to gotta, we gotta find out some things. Some people are proud. They're so proud they won't let you know. They're proud of how humble they are. They're proud of how much faith they have. And there's no place for that kind of thing in, in, in faith. We can't pretend that we know. We need to understand that we believe. There's a scripture that says this in 1 Timothy 1.5. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Faith unfeigned. What does that mean? Unfeigned. The word feigned means false. The word, if you feign sickness, you're pretending to be sick. Unfeigned faith is pretend faith, pretending we have faith. 2 Timothy 1.5 says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that in thee also. The Bible talks about unfeigned faith, talks about unfeigned love. It's a pretend faith, a pretend love. And when we are people in Bible studies like this, sometimes it's a big deal to not admit that we don't have faith. It's a big deal. Well, I, I have faith. But if we don't have faith, we need to figure out where we are. If we, there's no place to pretend. The man said, help me. Jesus didn't say, okay, well then stand aside. I'll take it. I'll take care of it. But Jesus did help him. Whatever it was, Jesus helped him. He had enough word and, the, and he was with Jesus enough that Jesus did heal his boy. We don't need to try to fake it. Listen, if we try to fake it, especially when Jesus is there, you try to fake it, everybody's going to know in five minutes whether you had faith or not. The thing that impressed Jesus the most in his ministry was faith. The, 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 the centurion whose servant was sick, Jesus said, wow, I've not seen this kind of faith. 
The Syrophoenician woman who wanted her daughter healed. Jesus said, wow, this is great faith. Those things impressed Jesus, but they really had it. This guy didn't have it, but Jesus helped him. Sometimes we're afraid of what people might say to us because we're too proud. The scripture says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We need to say, Lord, I believe. That's what the guy said, I believe, but help me with the rest. Help me with what I don't know. And the Lord helped him. Man, pretend faith is not a good thing. We need to have real faith, real New Testament faith. Just because we say we have it, it may or may not be in our heart. We need to be people who know the difference. We need to have faith for what God is telling us. Let me, I'm going to skip a couple of things here. Faith is being persuaded of something. It's believing something. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews 11, beginning of verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The word substance means a setting under. It means support. Faith, it supports something that you're hoping for. If you really have faith, it holds it up. Whatever you're hoping for, healing, deliverance, whatever it may be, it holds it up. It says it's the evidence of things not seen. The word evidence here, it, it means proof. It, it, it means title deed, as it's translated one time. It's the title deed of what you're hoping, of what you cannot see. It's the proof of it. It's like this. Remember back in the day when Perry Mason came on TV? And Perry Mason would be on there and, and, and they'd have the witness in the stand and Perry Mason would present all of this evidence. Perry Mason never saw the murder, but he would take all the evidence all the evidence, and he'd pile it up and pile it up. And all of a sudden, at the end of the show, he looked and he says, and so now we know that Bob didn't do it. Ralph did it because we have all the evidence that proves that he did it. Faith is the proof of it. Faith is the proof in your heart for what you can't see with your eyes. It's what makes your hopes work. Faith is. We need to have that kind of faith. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Who are the elders? The elders are the people that he's getting ready to talk about in this chapter, the, the faith chapter. And then he says, through faith, and it sounds like this is changing the subject. Through faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen were not made by which, which things do appear. Let me, tell you, let me tell you some words here. Through faith, we understand the worlds were framed. The word worlds here doesn't mean earth, doesn't mean planet. The word worlds here, we get the English word eons from the Greek word here. It's not talking about a world. It's talking about an age. It's talking about a period of time. It's talking about a decade. Maybe talking about a century. It's talking about time here. Through faith, we understand that seasons of time. Through faith, we understand that periods of time were framed. The word frame doesn't mean frame like framing a house. You can look these words up later. The word framed here means altered or changed. Through faith, we understand that certain periods of time were altered by the Word of God. People who believed what God said altered the world they lived in because that's what the purpose of faith is, is to get God what He wants, to change the world we live in. We've got to be people of faith, not so we can boast about our faith, but so that God can get what He wants, so that things which are seen, what things? All things that are promised in the scripture. So the things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. 
That's the purpose of faith. That's why we have faith. We need to believe what God said. The children of Israel were, 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 were out and, 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 and they didn't believe the report of the spies. Remember that story? And they're, they're having an argument about it. They didn't believe the report. They didn't believe the report. And so they said, the Lord comes in. And every time something happened to the children of Israel, like 10 different times, they didn't have water. They didn't have food. They didn't have this. And they would say, Moses, you just brought us out here so we could die in the wilderness. You brought us to die in the wilderness. So God finally had enough of it. And this time they said, you brought us here to take us in the land so we could die in, in the promised land. And so the Lord said, okay, enough, enough. I'm going to give you exactly what you said. You're all going to die in the wilderness. So now turn around and go back in the wilderness. You're going to march one year for every day they were spying out the promised land. You remember that story? And they said, no, 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 wait, 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 we made a mistake. We're sorry. We are going to go and take the land. Praise God. They were talking faith. But it was fake because God changed what he said. He said, y'all aren't going to get it. Your kids are going to get it. You Now, here's the word from God. Go back and walk in the wilderness. And they said, no, no, we have faith. It wasn't real. They went and attacked and got their tails kicked because they were not abiding by the Word of God. True faith will always take the Word and believe it. If God said believe Him for $1,000, you have no business believing Him for a million dollars. We believe Him what He said. I mean, we need, we need to help we need help with our faith sometimes. We need to get the help. The proud get resisted. We need to stay with him. The man said, he could have said, I have faith. In fact, I got a whole closet filled with tapes on faith. And I believe that I, I, I believe this. No, no. One time this lady, I knew this lady, she couldn't even pay her bills. Her life was a mess. She couldn't keep a husband. I mean, it was a mess. But she believed that her faith was on a different plane from everybody else's. She was so spiritual. She was pretending. She didn't have any kind of faith at all. I mean, he told them to go back in the desert, and they just they went and did what they were going to do. So we need to make sure that we have the real stuff. I'm going to give you some good advice here for just a minute. Never put your faith in another person's hands and do what they say without checking with the Lord. I don't care if it's the doctor, the preacher, anybody. If you ever get a check in your spirit, you need to stop and find out what God wants you to do. Find out what the Lord wants you to do. And never be embarrassed if you don't have the faith to move the mountain yet. Maybe you have faith to move a rock. Is that bad? No, no, no. Maybe you're going to move the mountain one rock at a time. Maybe, maybe, maybe you just need to have... I've talked to so many people over the years, and I've been wrong with some of them before. It's like, we just can't pay our bills. We don't know what to do. My first question is, do you tithe? And their answer is always, no, we can't afford to tithe. Have y'all ever said that? And so what's my answer? What do we need to say? Well, you just, you can't afford not to. That's the best answer. But 
they don't have faith for it. So here's, my, here's the next question I'm going to ask them. Can you give 20 bucks? Can you just start, can you believe God to give him $20? Well, I, I can believe that. All God needs is something to work with. That's all he needs. If I have faith today for 20 and God starts blessing me, maybe now I can get faith for 50. Maybe now I get faith for 150 or 300. Maybe then I can get faith for my tithe. You see, sometimes we want to eat the elephant whole, but you can only eat the elephant one bite at a time. We need to believe God. It's okay if you don't have faith for the whole thing. Sometimes you can't believe for healing in your whole body. But can you believe Him that it won't be worse tomorrow? And then maybe if it's not worse for a day or two, can you believe Him it'll be a little better? And a little better? See, we need to grow in our faith. We need to believe it. Listen to this passage from Mark chapter 8. And he, Jesus, took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town. When he had spit in his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked if he saw aught or did he see anything. And he looked up. Now, if he would have said, oh, I can see, it would have been over. But he looked up and he was honest. And he said, I see men as trees walking. And Jesus said, well, then you just don't have faith. No, Jesus, after that, he put his hands on his eyes again, made him look up, and he was restored and saw man clearly. Maybe we need to work on this subject of faith and begin to believe God. Where you are tonight, where you are, instead of having to have, have the whole thing, believe God where we are, Faith without works is dead. You got to do something. Even if it's something little. Letting God have something to work with in your life. Believing Him. Because faith is getting God what He wants. Believing God so that His purpose can be done. Getting a little bit. Lord, I can't believe you yet for this, but I can believe you for that. Have you ever, back in the day, the charismatic renewal. We didn't have any money. We didn't have anything. If our car didn't start, we had to believe God to start the car. Today, I can believe God for the money to buy a battery. Because that's a longer term answer, typically. But I'm in a different place than I was. No less faith in believing God for the money to buy a battery than praying for the car to start. But let's use the faith we have. Use what we've got. Where's your confidence? Where tonight can you believe? What can you believe for? You see, that's what we're talking about. All things are possible to him that believes. Let's work our way in this realm of faith. The problem is not the will of God. The problem is faithlessness. Let's believe Him. Let's increase our faith and do what we need to do. We need miracles. God wants miracles to flow through us. Let's start with little ones. Would that be okay? 
Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, that you didn't just blow the man off, but you helped him. I thank you, you help us tonight. I thank you, Father, that we can have all these things that we're to believe for. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.